0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 8th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The much-hailed and maligned protectionism emanating from the White House has been bothersome to people who believe in freedom, but is it nearing its end? Scott Linsicum, an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, is author of the new Cato Trade Bulletin, The Protectionist Moment That Wasn't. We spoke Tuesday. Immediately after uh, the approval of the revised NAFTA that has this unpronounceable acronym, unfortunately for us, um, this was Canada, the United States, and Mexico, somebody said, look, you can look at this agreement and, and say that uh, Trump got his victory here, but what I see is very different, which is this is the outer limit of the protectionism that Donald Trump would like to impose, do, what do you think of that?
1: I mean, I think that's that's pretty true. Um, I, I would I would argue though that his steel and aluminum tariffs and his China tariffs are probably the outer bounds of of his protectionism, but the the NAFTA renegotiation really is an excellent example of how there really is no appetite in this country for a real protectionist America, Uh, because despite uh, the president's (laughs) claims, I know this is going to surprise you, but they they were wildly oversold that this was a radical change from the previous NAFTA. Uh, Fact is that the fundamental principles of NAFTA being free trade in goods and services across borders is mostly untouched. And in fact, in certain things like digital digital trade is expanded. So, um, you know, the idea that NAFTA was the worst thing ever, that free trade is horrible, all of that um, just simply is belied by the fact that the new NAFTA, uh, the USMCA, uh, is really the same type of agreement, just with some uh, fiddling around the edges. So what do we make of the
0: not insignificant change in polling Regarding protectionism in general,
1: you know, it's there's I think there's there's two big lessons we can draw from uh, the trade polling. The first is that the United States and Americans in general are simply not. Protectionists. They, in general, support trade, globalization, that type of stuff, whatever you want to call it. So if you look at um, – and I mean every polling outfit shows basically the same thing, that American support for these kind of broad principles of free trade and goods and services is at all-time highs, um, and you're not talking about 52%, you're talking about 75% um, or more in some cases. Um, the number of Americans who think that trade has been a net benefit for them and their families and so forth is, again, at all-time highs. And by contrast, the number of Americans who think that that trade has been a net cost, a net problem, uh, is at uh, all-time lows. So um, that's the first broad thing you can see in the polls. But the second that is, uh, I think, equally important is that Americans really don't have strong views on trade generally. And in fact, when you look at the polls, the trade is the by far the issue on which more Americans are willing to admit ignorance or ambivalence. Uh, There's a great chart in my new paper on these issues that shows this peak of disinterest and trade is well above any other issue, Medicare vouchers, taxes, uh, foreign policy, you name it. So that second point really lets you interpret other polls on trade issues. When you see polls on tariffs or on NAFTA, um, what you see is wild swings in partisan affiliation for these specific trade issues. Republicans all of a sudden becoming pro-tariff uh, and anti-FTA for a little while there. Um, and, but the reality is that this is this is more parroting uh, partisan talking points, kind of tribalism um, that, you know, that's what Trump is saying. So that's what they're going to support. They see it, uh, these polls as a proxy or these questions as a proxy for Trump. So, uh, you know, those are, I think, Really, two very important points as you talk about trade and trade politics. Um, uh, you know, and and how we uh, our policymakers need to kind of respond or how free traders should talk about these issues.
0: It does have to bother you at least a little bit, the fact that uh, anti-free trade sentiment can be so easily abandoned by a party that has for decades held itself up as the party of economic literacy and of free trade.
1: Oh, it's horribly frustrating. Horribly frustrating. I mean, you know, for for those listening, I I mean, I actually have advised a lot of... uh, Republican candidates in the past, including John McCain in his presidential campaign in 08, um, on trade. And because the there was a – my kind of free trade positions were, were uh, a fit for that party. Now, that is uh, an era <laughs> long gone these days uh, because of who's at the top of the party. Uh, but the silver lining in the polling is that you realize that we are going through – a, a moment where you have uh, a a m- protectionist at the top of the ticket um, and simply the comfort is that the opinions of those below are are just simply following that lead and that there could be the hope is that the next candidate would move back uh, towards <laughs> the the previous position now there's no there's no guarantee that that's going to happen but um, you know, it is easy to understand why most Americans – and by the way, it's not just Republicans. You know, Democrats for years were trade skeptics while George W. Bush was trying to pass various FTAs um, and now they are all of a sudden the freest of free traders. I mean it's crazy. 80% of Democrats now oppose tariffs uh, and support free trade and that kind of stuff Um and and so, you know, the malleability of public opinion uh, hap- occurs on both sides. And, you know, like I said, I think I I can understand it. Um, it it's quite rational. You know, most Americans do not work in industries that are um, highly exposed to import competition or highly dependent on foreign export markets. Most Americans work in services, you know, about 80% Plus percent of the labor forces and services, and most of those services are are not globally tradable services, um, either by the nature of just the fact that services are a little harder to trade, or the fact that it's just certain industries. Right? You know, the guy um, down the street working at uh, the massage uh, place, or or doing your you know giving you an oil change, or your plumber. Those people just <laughs> they don't have any sort of um, contact with these kind of big global trade phenomena. So for that reason, uh, the benefits or costs they feel are are very indirect. You know, they're going to you're going to save a few dollars on a t-shirt, you're going to save 100 bucks on a TV. Um, that type of stuff they see and then all of the unseen benefits of trade they're never going to see. So so because of those issues, uh, voters are going to remain rationally ignorant. And you know, look, again, yes, it is frustrating to see the Republican Party descend into this protectionist moment of sorts. But it is, again, it's understandable that the the vast majority of Republican voters just simply haven't given it a lot of thought. Um, And let's face it, trade is kind of complex. Comparative advantage is counterintuitive. So you you can understand. Understand why the polls are so malleable on this issue. Americans
0: care about how protectionism hurts their families uh, and their family budgets, their fellow workers, uh, U.S. farmers, and exporters. What evidence have we seen of the costs of the tariffs that the president has imposed thus far on those groups of people?
1: Right. So you're you're starting to see discrete harms. So the most Obvious harms are foreign exporters, uh, American soybean farmers, for example, getting shut out of foreign markets due to retaliation that was utterly inevitable, um, totally foreseeable, um, retaliation uh, against uh, President Trump's tariffs uh, on steel and aluminum and then on Chinese imports. So that's an obvious example. But, but you're also seeing uh, American manufacturers really struggling with higher input costs, um, again, steel and aluminum. Or other areas. Uh, President Trump's tariffs on dishwashers have caused, uh, or sorry, on washing machines have caused uh, those to go up, uh, those products to go up in price. So consumers are feeling that as well uh, in higher prices. Now, those consumer pains have not been passed on significantly so far. Uh, American manufacturers are really trying hard to avoid that, but they are happening. And you're seeing companies that are going out of business because uh, their input costs just went up 25 30%. Um, because, of course, steel prices have skyrocketed since President Trump's uh, tariffs went into effect. So these types of pains produce tangible reported harms. You're actually seeing, you know, free traders always had to talk in the abstract. Oh, no, if you do this, X and Y will happen, but, but you know, cooler heads prevailed and it didn't. Well, now we're actually seeing the, the uh, unfortunately, Obvious and foreseeable um, harms that that protectionist policies cause, whether it again be higher prices, uh, lost investment, uh, closed businesses or closed foreign markets. So th- the interesting thing about that in the polling is, you know I just spent a few minutes saying that people don't care, but they do care when you start putting a price tag on the policy. So what I discovered in looking at the at the polling data, is that while Americans tend to have a very partisan or tribalistic view towards these specific policies in the abstract um you know when you ask Oh, do you want to buy American? Yeah, you're going to get 80% of Americans to say yes, if not higher. Um, are you willing to pay more to buy American? Yes. Uh, you'll still see pretty high levels. But when you start saying, are you willing to pay $100 for a pair of jeans that you currently pay $50 for, the polls just collapse. When you start talking about actual uh, retaliation, you know, soybean farmers have been shut out of this market or so forth and so on, uh, you see... Americans uh, support collapse. And so, and it's poll after poll after poll, where if a poll question includes things that have actually happened. So President Trump imposed uh, tariffs on imports from China. The Chinese retaliated against American soybean exports and other exports that have closed those, that that lucrative market to American companies, and then you ask, do you support those policies? Yeah, then, then the support goes down the tubes. So it's, it's a pretty fascinating and I think telling um, issue in that once people start to understand the implications of these policies that they typically don't think a lot about, uh, then you start seeing a uh, pretty significant opposition to them, which is, I think, again, kind of a uh, silver lining to our, our current moment.
0: You said that uh, Democrats have become ardent free traders in this, in this moment that we're experiencing of uh, Republican-led protectionism. Um, is there any uh, reason to think that that is going to be a long-term transition, that is to say Democrats will be the party of free trade as they once were?
1: Yeah, I, I don't so I don't want to be too optimistic. Um I think that that again, you know, in each party I think you see a a chunk of protectionists, a chunk of free trade or globalist, whatever you want to call it, and then a a malleable middle of sorts that that sloshes between the two. I do think that on the democratic side, the free trade globalist uh cohort is growing and I think it's growing for two big reasons. The first is that you know, there's been a lot of <laughs> reporting about how uh, highly educated uh, or wealthier individuals, these kind of suburbanite folks that typically voted Republican, these kind of Mitt Romney Republicans have now moved into the Democratic Party, um, the rhinos of sorts. Um, so, so that's, They tend to be uh, more free trade. Um, whether it be (laughs) having taken economics classes or um, following these issues or working in in globally traded goods or services. So that's the first sign. The other sign, though, is just the young people, millennials um, and whatever the generations below millennials is, zennials, I don't know, anyway, the kids. The kids uh, are uniformly more supportive of open trade and globalization and I think – a good part of that can be explained by what's in all of our pockets, and you know the smartphone um, and other uh, technological innovations that we simply understand quite well are the result of global supply chains or global uh, cross-border information flows, that kind of stuff. So young people in general, again, tend to be voting democratic. They tend to be, um, especially in this election and and probably the next one as well. So for that reason, I think that you can assume that the Democrats will be more pro-trade than they were in, say, the 90s and even 2000s when Democrats were very... Uh, trade skeptical uh, because they were being pushed by labor unions and environmental groups that were highly, highly skeptical of of trade and globalization for for all sorts of reasons. Um, now I, it seems that that's shifting a bit. You're getting, um, you're moving back the other way, but. I will give a bit of caution, and that is, you know, Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren and some of the others on the on the farther left side of the party are, are pretty protectionist. So, to the extent they can influence those voters or influence that malleable middle, then we could end up, you know, um, in back where we were um, pre-Trump.
0: Based on uh, what I read in your bulletin, I was reminded of the fact that I don't think I've heard Donald Trump talking as much about the trade deficit as uh, he had in the, on the campaign trail in 2016 and maybe in some of the early days of his presidency in 2017. You, uh, you point to polling that indicates that maybe 1% of Americans view that as a really important thing
1: yeah and and i think the reason that he has stopped talking about the trade deficit is that despite the implementation of all these tariffs trade deficit keeps going up now any legitimate economist, would have told you in January of this year, and many, many did, uh, that the trade deficit was inevitably going to go up because the trade deficit, of course, is not based on on tariffs and and unfair trade policy in general. It's based far more on these kind of global macroeconomic issues, relative savings and investment, all that kind of good stuff. And Because the United States had these massive tax cuts and then a bunch of spending, uh, it was inevitable that the trade deficit was actually going to increase. But the other really interesting thing with Trump's rhetoric is that he has shifted, and I think this is, this is again, kind of a silver lining of our current moment. Uh, he has shifted dramatically in the last nine months from an overt protectionist defense of his tariffs. His tariffs were going to make the steel industry great again. They were uh, going to bring back manufacturing jobs. Now, he still says this a little bit but his primary defense of these tariffs and particularly the tariffs on chinese imports is for what freer trade so he the argument and you hear this among republicans all the time now, is that Trump's tariffs are a means to a freer trade end. And I think that's a really good sign that somewhere deep into the bowels of the White House, they're actually looking at the the public opinion on trade, particularly in places like the Rust Belt. I think that they're seeing that this overtly protectionist message just simply does not resonate with the vast majority of the American public. So instead, how do you sell it? Well, you sell it as a, trust us, we're going to get more agreements like the NAFTA 2.0. We're going to get an agreement with Japan. We're going to get an agreement with China, and we're going to actually have freer trade. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> for a guy who nine months ago tweeted, you can't have a country if you don't have a steel industry, and that's why we need steel tariffs, you know, that's a, a pretty significant change. And in that sense, again, I, I think that um, we aren't going to be going back to this kind of pre-NAFTA, uh, pre NAFTA, pre Uh, global trading uh, supply chain world of of the protectionist dreams of of certain folks in the White House. Scott Linsicum is
0: an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. You can rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.